0: Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. I know you see the whiteboard again. You get. You just get really—what <laughs> is he going to do with it? Um— well, hey everyone. my name's Trey. Uh, glad to be here and uh, what a great Sunday honestly uh, Nathan, thanks for your story. Also, we've had like three couples get married, one's engaged, so congrats to that if you if you're new here, you can find love that's that's our motto no I'm just kidding. Um, well, hey, today uh, I'm talking about a passage that we we just read, but uh, to be honest it, it it brings up a lot of really kind of Fun um, Stories for me, uh, and it's funny because you see the word hypocrite three times, and you're like, "This, I don't know where this story is going to go." But um, I grew up, believe it or not, kind of a jokester. Um, I was incredibly uh, tiny and insecure, and well, weren't most of us in middle school? Uh, but unfortunately, that continued to high school. I did not have puberty until I was almost 17. So um the the cards were not in my hand at that point but um and so i used humor to kind of mask my insecurities right and so i would make jokes and some of them you know were not pg probably not even r rated to be honest um and 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 then i you know long story short i found jesus in college and then uh i had a really good friend in college who uh, she was hilarious like i loved being around her she was such a jokester and was really quick and witty and she comes up to me one day and she says hey you know we used to do this thing back in high school this competition, and uh, and we went to nationals. And I, I think you know, I think you're kind of funny and quick and witty. Would you be interested in co-leading an improv team with me? And uh, and so um, you know, I uh, I was like, absolutely. I don't even know what improv is, but I think I can figure it out, right? It's improv. You don't need to know what you're doing. And so we started this improv team, and I just loved it. If you're wondering what improv is, uh, like, whose line is it anyway? Is like a really good like entry-level short-form improv, you know, quick games and things like that, but um, if you've never seen improv, I highly recommend it. It's one of my favorite things to see and to watch and to do, but I loved it. We would practice at 9 p.m., sometimes till 1 a.m. It was just, the like, practice was just as fun as our performances, Um, but we would pack out rooms probably, like, double this size in our school and um, standing room only, and we'd go up here, and we'd just be silly, right, and, you know, we never knew what we're gonna do, and I loved it. It was, like, one of my favorite things. I felt like I was in this zone. I was, like, in this weird zone that I'd never been in, and it's so fun to make people laugh, and it's so fun to, to, like, pick on people, but, like, have that perfect line, right, where you're not, like, mean, but it's, like, funny, and, and I loved it, I loved it, and, uh, so I got to do that for about three years, um, but what was so interesting about it was there was nothing more than, you know, my week than being excited about those moments where I'd go up there and have a really good line, or have like just a really good character that like was just really landing well, or sometimes we even had a really talented piano buddy that was our friend, and he would play, and we'd do sing it, where you just like in the middle, you had to start singing, and he would play the piano. It was awesome, but with all of that high, the most lonely moment was the second the show ended. It was the weirdest thing. I go up here, and we do all these jokes. We had like eight of us, and and, you know, it'd be funny. Everybody would be just laughing and dying. And then the show would go over. We'd come around the back, and we'd say hi to everyone in the lobby. And you just felt like, I felt like I wasn't even there. I was just like a shell of a human. It was the craziest thing. Here I'm on stage. I love it. I go out there, and I just feel dead inside. I don't know why. And I started to think about it more and more and more. And it, and it was like, you know, you receive this high of people. You almost feel like their laughs are like filling your security bucket, if you will, right? It's like taking deposits. And, and you're funny, and people like you, and whatever, Right? And little did I know, you know, I had kind of regressed, right? Like, you know, there's these things in deep inside you that you don't even realize are there until you think back. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's kind of what I did in middle school and high school. Like, I, I fed these, these insecurities of people's, you know, and laughs are kind of like affirmation. And so it was a really great time, but I had to start really questioning, you know, why was I doing this? Because at the end of the day, I felt more depressed and lonely at the end of the show than ever. Even if people would say, like, hey, nice show. It was like it didn't really feel or mean anything. And, and so sometimes we'd even just talk about the show for like an hour, just to try to like relive the funniness, right? Oh, that when you did that one thing or that character, or whatever. And it was just, it was so fun, but it was very telling of of this deep insecurity that I had. And today we're talking about not improv per se, but we're talking about actors. We're talking about hypocrites. The word hypocrite in the Bible has root words in the Latin of the like actor, or it means two-faced, or it means to play a character. And Jesus is calling out these characters. And remember, we've been talking about Matthew forever. We'll talk about Matthew. We've been going through it forever. And he's at this moment in Matthew where he's he's giving this long sermon, this long teaching. It's one of the most formative teachings we see in the Bible of Jesus' words. And Jesus invites all these people that are listening, hundreds of people on a hillside, the most reject people you could think of, the unclean, the the social outcasts, probably the people that no one liked. They're flocking to listen to him, and Jesus is talking to his disciples, and everyone's hearing what he's saying. And at the beginning, he welcomes them into this kingdom that he's creating, that he's bringing on earth. The kingdom is God's rule on earth and in his presence. And so he's inviting us into this kingdom while we have to deny and repent and turn from the kingdom that we're living in, our own kingdom. And, and he gives all, you know, over the last few weeks, we've talked about the different things that the kingdom values, that the kingdom is more concerned with your heart than just your external actions, meaning uh, murdering is bad, but also, like, wanting to murder someone in your mind is bad. Being angry at a brother uh, for no reason is bad, or, or lusting after something that is not yours is just as bad as taking something that isn't yours, or uh, retaliation and finding revenge is, is not a kingdom value. And so he kind of lays out this, these kingdom values, and now I, what I think he's doing is he's welcoming people into the kingdom, he's told them what the values of them are, and over the next few weeks, he's essentially going to, to rid us of the insecurities that are at the foundation, and this week is, is notably, uh, it's weird because when you read it, it, it kind of sounds like a churchy passage, you know? It's like, like uh, you know, if someone new came in, they'd never been a Christian before, they'd never been to church. Like, it, this may seem foreign, but what I'm going to kind of show you and prove to you is that this passage has some pretty overarching themes to it that are much bigger than just that. Um, but the, the main idea, and I'll just kind of get to it, and I kind of explain it in my story, but uh, for most of us, if not all of us, our security and our identity is much more unstable than we really realize. It's actually much more, in, uh, it's much more uneven. It's actually rooted in, in many more things that are unhealthy than we realize, and we do a really good job at playing this actor. We, we appear externally a certain way. It's kind of like when you walk through the doors, and someone asks how you're doing, and you had a terrible week, and you just kind of like, I'm good. Everything's great, you know, and you're like, inside, you're like, you were just weeping 10 minutes ago in your car, and now you're saying you're fine. Like, we, we put on these facades, and we do it in so many ways. We don't just do it with words and conversation, we do it with the things we buy, the people we hang out with, all the type of things, right? So I don't want to try to prove to you that you're insecure. And you're probably like, this is an interesting message. Interesting route, trays going here, making us all feel bad about ourselves. But, but what, I, what I want us to know is that in, in light of being able to be honest about this, it's actually the most freeing thing that we can do. In fact, we're here not because we're perfect and put together. We're here because we're broken. And we're also here with other broken people because, not that it's like this, like, pity fest, right? We sit around and like, woe is me, woe is me. But that in the midst of this, that we find our hope in Jesus, and that we do it together, because life's hard. And so in this, I I think that if we just approach this topic understanding that, like, there's so many things that we do for the wrong reasons. There's so many externals that we put out in the world. I mean, literally, if you have social media, you've done it. You're like, I'm going to post all the great photos of my trip, but I'm also not going to post the photos of me being depressed in my bedroom, crying, right? No one does that. And if they do, it's like pretty weird and edgy, you know? Um, And and so the next few weeks are going to be hard-hitting. I'll just be honest and straight up about it. But let's dive in. Matthew 6, if you have your Bible, your phone. Uh, I want to start in uh, verse 1. This is a transition in Jesus' teaching, so it's kind of like this nice little... Transition from, he, he tells us to be perfect like God the Father is perfect, which is already seemingly impossible. And then he moves on to tell you the things that, that are make you right, right standing with God, the disciplines. And it says in verse 1, Be careful not to display your righteousness merely to be seen by people. Otherwise you have no reward with your Father in heaven. Thus whenever you do a charitable giving, do not blow a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets so that people will praise them. I tell you the truth, they have their reward. Now, if you looked whenever we were reading, it looked like we've been going through every verse of Matthew. And if you notice, we took 1 through 6, and then we skipped a little bit, and then we went to 16 through 18. And that's because these three verses are three spiritual disciplines, practices, that build, in Jesus' words, righteousness, right? Like, right standing with God, right? And, and so he has three of these, and Matthew, when he writes this and he puts this gospel together... Uh, We call it synthetic. We don't call it chronological because he does stuff like this where he takes the Lord's Prayer and he just sticks it in there like a commercial in between the second one and the third one. So that's why we're skipping it because next week we'll talk about just the Lord's Prayer. So if you're wondering, like, what, what is going on, that's what happens. Matthew does this all the time. And so anyways, he's talking about three practices, okay? Three practices. The first one is giving, which if you have an older translation, it might say giving alms. I don't know if you've ever used that word before, but we'll just simplify it. Giving. The second one is prayer. And the third one is fasting. Okay, so fun fact if you were a part of Islam, they have five pillars in Islam uh, that are like the main tenets of following Islam. And three of them are those three. And if we know Islam kind of originated in Christianity, there's still a lot of things, obviously. So it's kind of interesting that three of their five pillars are what, you know, Jesus was teaching here. Uh, But Jesus would say these three. Are what, are what create righteousness, right? It's like those spiritual things that we do that create uh, discipline and, and they stretch our spiritual muscles, if you will. They build righteousness. And so Jesus is calling out these three things and, and we're going to go through each one, but if you, if you, if you notice, it's kind of like it's a, it's a formula. Like He says the same thing for each one. He's like, he, he names the thing, like in the f- verse two, it's giving. He's saying, don't do this like the hypocrites. And then he tells you they have their reward. And then he kind of gives you the solution. He does it for each one. And so it's the same pattern for all three. So I'm going to read through them, but it's the same kind of pattern. It's just three different um, spiritual disciplines. But the first one he mentions is giving. Now, I find it interesting the first spiritual discipline Jesus cares about is giving. I don't know about you, but, I mean, heck, I'm a pastor, and everybody jokes like, all pastors want to talk about is giving, but I would not think giving is like the first spiritual discipline, right? Like prayer, surely, right? Nothing more spiritual than just sitting in your room praying for hours. But in Jesus' words, this is the first thing he mentions. And I started thinking about it more and more. I'm like, why would Jesus mention like giving as like this premier spiritual discipline? And I started to think about it, and I started thinking about the way we live our lives. Like money has power and influence in our life. And in fact, uh, in, in next week we're going to talk about money. But uh, actually, I'm not I'm not going to be here, but we're going to talk about money. But the, uh, money is, is, the mo- <laughs> buy, yeah. is the most is the most powerful thing in our lives when we think about it. Like you can't get away from it. You can't just work a job, and somebody barters goats for you, and then you trade your goats for your kombucha. Like you just can't do that, unfortunately. You have to use money. And so we have money, we have to steward it well. And Jesus is saying, in some ways that, that money is, is in some ways the, the biggest way to prove righteousness, to practice righteousness, to be a spiritual discipline. And I thought about this because I was, I was thinking about why, why would that even matter? Because I know very, very rich people who are generous, but they have tons of money, right? It's like, oh, you have a million dollars, cool, you bought me my food. Like, wow, what a nice guy, right? But if you make like no money and you buy my food, it feels way more significant, right? But money and, and, the, and the generosity, the giving of, of money, time, treasure, whatever you want to call it, right? is directly correlated, I think, to your heart, right? The internal, which is what Jesus cares about. And in the midst of that, you give all these things when you most feel free and not enslaved by them. Meaning that, and I believe that a gospel truth is that we know, and, and like Nathan said, the people that loved him experienced grace and love unconditionally and that they loved him that way. We know that because Jesus died for us, that he loved us when we didn't deserve it that at the end of the day, we, we give out of that love. We feel rich, right? We were prisoners, and not only were we let out of prison, but we were given an inheritance. And so because of that, we give everyone else money, right? If you, if you want a million dollars right now, it'd be pretty easy for you to just, like, give someone a couple thousand dollars or buy a car for them because you feel rich. You feel an inheritance, and that is the way we should live. And so people in my life that I've seen that have just given us, I don't know, like, just given us generously money or things or whatever— you, you look at their life and you, and you realize, like, this is a mark of a follower of Jesus because th- they make average money, but it, like I said, they know they're rich in Christ. Like, they, they, don't, they don't need to hold on to these things. They're not playing the rat race. They're just, they're just free to give. So Jesus is hitting the nail on the head here, and I would say, and it, this sounds crazy, but if you were willing to share your, your, your checking account, right, we can see where your heart is, right? Like, you can look at mine, you can see where my heart is, you can see what I, what I don't spend money on, what I, what I save for, what I, whatever, right? You can see where my heart is. And so, in the same way, when we give, we're able to show out of our inheritance the richness to others because at the end of the day, it's just money, right? And so, Jesus starts off with that, and it's interesting because these Pharisees, who were actually pretty wealthy, we don't have like a salary number for these guys, the religious leaders, right, they worked in the temple, but they would, they would tax everything, right, they would do the sacrifices, and they would take money from the, the, the temple, and these guys made pretty good money, like I said, I don't have a number, and it would probably be irrelevant now, but they made pretty good money, and so they would go around, and they would give money to the four people, like it was a commandment to do, right, to give money to like the impoverished, and the poor, and the sick, whatever, the hurting, and then even the temple, and there's, there's some scholars rumor that the trumpet he's mentioning is they would literally go around with a trumpet on their waist, (laughs) and they would go up to a guy who's like, you know, former veteran, like, need, like, money, you know, like we see, and they would, like, give him money, and they would blow this, like, trumpet so that everyone could see them doing it. It's ridiculous. It'd be like if you were at a diner, and you, like, wanted to tip your serve hundred dollars, and you had, like, an air horn, you're, like, holding the bill, and you're, like, "Eh, eh, eh," and everybody's, like, look at this, it's a $100 bill. And everybody would be like, what is wrong with you? And that's what they would do. They were showing off, like, look at how generous we are. Look at how great we are. It's it's funny, but it's like, have you ever seen, like, some of those buildings where, you know, they needed tons of money to be built? And you have all these bricks, right? And you're like, look at all those names on the bricks. Have you ever wanted to have your name on a brick? But it's kind of like, it's, it's like, look, like, we built that. Like, we're, like, that's ours, you know? And in the same way, it's like we're, the Pharisees and the people who, Jesus is calling out are people who are utilizing giving for their own sake. They're, and they immediately, he says, he says they immediately received their reward, meaning that their reward in that moment was what they, like, they thought they needed, which was admiration. And they got it, right? People saw them, and it was immediately crushed from the reward they would have in heaven with God. And it's funny, I used to um, have a buddy who, like, you know, one time, he, he would do this all the time, but he would, like, say something he did that was good, and he was like, darn it, I just lost my reward in heaven by announcing it. And I thought it was, like, the dumbest, funniest thing. He'd be like, yeah, I just, like, I felt really bad, and I gave this guy 20 bucks. He's like, oh, shoot, now I'm, like, bragging about it, and now I'm not. It was, like, the dumbest thing. I was like, dude, it's okay, like, you're fine. But, but he would joke about that, but it's this idea of, like, are, are we truly living to honor God, or are we trying to honor God and also honor people around us, also kind of show off, right? And we live in this, this weird tension. The same thing with, with prayer, the same thing with fasting. And Jesus has this formula for all three in the giving one in verse three. It says, when you do your giving, do not, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your gift may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. <laughs> I thought about this and I'm like, does that mean I just like put a bunch of money in my pockets and like when I see someone, I'm just like, and I have no idea. I'm like, there you go. I don't know how much it was, but I don't want to know. Don't tell me. <laughs> it's not this weird, like, like be responsible and just, like, take out money and don't don't keep track of it, right? It's this idea that once you're aware of what you're doing, you're going to want to quantify it. Like, once you start to think about the things that you've done, you start to think about the things you'll get from it. It's kind of like, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm kind of this all the time. Like, we'll we'll have people in our neighborhood or wherever. Or I'll, like, invite them out for lunch and, like, I I love buying, like, people I don't know, I love buying their, their meal or whatever, and I'll, like, do it, and the, then they're immediately like, oh, okay, I'll get you back next time. Like, I'll get you next time. Like, they, like, can't just, like, let it be, right? They're like, no, no, I owe you, I owe you, and I'm like, it was Chipotle, it was $7, like, it's okay, and they're like, no, no, I owe you, and that, it's that idea of, like, people live in a world where when we give, we are waiting for the yield. What are we going to get out of this, Right? Or it better be the same amount, or if not more, or they better not think I'm great, right? That's the yield. Or, or they better think that I'm generous, or they better, you know, whenever I need to use their services, maybe they're like a handyman, I better get a good deal, right? Like, we, we live like this. It's like, we, we, we give, but we, we truly are hoping for more yield, whether it's financial, whether it's um, status, whether it's influence, whatever it is, right? We want a yield. It's the same reason why everybody lies on their taxes, right, in the IRS, because we know that at the end of the day, this sounds bad, but like a lot of people lie on their taxes, is that like no one's really going to find out, right? No, not that many people get audited. But we lie because no one's seeing it. Like in most people, right? You don't show everyone your tax return, do you? Like we, we talk about how much money we get from it, but we don't actually show people it. So in the middle of that, we're like, if people saw it, if we're hoping for a reward, we'd probably act very differently. And, and it's the same reason why we... You know, there's so many opportunities for us to give that we, we like, want people to know. Or we want to remind people about it. And so at the end of the day, Jesus is using money, prayer, and fasting in these three ways. He's letting you know, here's a thing that is good. In fact, it's great. It builds righteousness, right? But we have just destroyed it with our insecurity, right? This good thing is just being absolutely obliterated by our insecurities. And I want to draw this little, I don't even know what you call it. It's like a quadrant thing, but um, it's like a good way of thinking of it. There's, there's kind of this theme that Jesus is poking at here in these verses. And what he's doing is he's talking about, essentially, um, these spiritual disciplines, which is like what we call, um, you know, habits of, of engage- prayer, um, giving, fasting, also Bible reading, all these type of things, worship, right? There's all these different spiritual disciplines. And so these are like, these are the things we do. Even in back before Jesus, it was the law, right? They had the law in the Old Testament. And so that was like the, the things they had to do, right, that were required. In fact, all three of these were required. Giving, fasting, prayer, they were all required in the law. And then Jesus pushes that. And so it's this idea that the more that we do these things, right, that we become more spiritual, more Christian, right? The Pharisees are the best of the best. But the problem is Jesus is actually adding another axis, if you will. And, and he's saying, hey, actually, your intentions matter. That it's not just the things you do. It's not just the external. And we, we saw this in the last six little thing, uh, teachings that he gave. It's not just about the thing you do. It's about the heart of it, right? And so if, if we start off with ba- it's bad intentions, and then as we get down to good intentions, in the midst of that, I'd say it goes from pride to humility, right? Less about, less about us, more about others or God, right? And so in this quadrant, though, there's, there's groups of people, right? There's people who don't do anything. No spiritual disciplines, no law. Uh, and have very little, it's, very, it's all about themselves. These are what we call, in the church world, consumers, right? These are people who, like, want the good stuff, but they don't really care much about doing anything, and they also don't have intentions, they don't have humility, they don't have a posture of service, they, they just kind of suck the life out of everything, right? kind of like a leech, right? And at the end of the day, those people are here, and we're, we've had those moments, and we still do, we regress into those, but this is, like, n- no things really, and no, no intentions. And then, you have this, this group over here who does all the right things but still has tons of pride. These are what we call the Pharisees who is really mainly who Jesus is talking about in this. It's the religious leaders. But I would say another way to understand this is what we call legalism, which is like the plague of American Christians. Um, and the funny part is there's two sides of that. There's one side where you grew up in church all your life. You love church and you love the things of the Bible and all that, but you do them all and you, just, you do them because you feel guilty if you don't. <laughs> So you just, like, live this life where you feel like God is just upset with you all the time, and then if you don't do enough things, he's mad at you, and then, you, and then, you, and then you're just frustrated, right? Um, but then on the other hand of that, if you're not doing all those things, you're just, like, living in shame and doubt and frustration and you have no confidence, uh, you're still living in legalism because you're still basing your identity upon things that you'll do or not do. There's two sides of legalism. They're both just rooted in doing something. One person's just much better at it than the other, but they're still falling short. And this is this is really who he's attacking. It's the Pharisees and just kind of this legalistic mindset. Um, and then and then we have the people uh, down here who are who have who uh, who are humble, right? They have good intentions, but they don't do anything. These are what we call. I'm just going to call them the all talk, right? There's a lot of scripture about the tongue. The tongue is like the rudder of your body, right? And the, nothing like the tongue speaks fire, and so it's fire because it's powerful, and you can say you'll do things, and say you'll do this and that, but if you don't, at the end of the day, you're all talk, and then Jesus is giving us this sweet spot, which is where the kingdom of God is, right, it's this, this beautiful culture of people who have humble and raw intentions, fear of God intentions, who do the things that he does, and and what, what is so crazy right now, and what I'm realizing has been like this I don't know, this pathway for the last few years, and at least in the American church, is this idea that if I don't feel like doing it, that I shouldn't do it, because God only cares about the heart. And I'm gonna tell you, in this passage, and in many other passages, that's actually not true. Now, God does want your heart. In fact, the heart is what motivates the soul, and we can get real philosophical about this, but the short version is, think about how many things you don't wanna do in life that you need to do. Think about the discipline of fasting, can you ever think of a time where you're like, oh, I'd love to just not eat for three days? Unless you're like, I need to lose weight, or I have, you have an agenda, right? Nobody's like, sitting down like, yeah, it'd be great to just only have water for seven days. Like, I feel like that'd be a great idea. No, never. But we're called to do it. Think about a time when you're called to give, and you got your pay cut, or you had unexpected financial issues, or you just wanted to buy stuff for yourself, and you didn't want to give it away, right? The, you feel like you don't want to give it you just not do it then imagine if you were only supposed to give when you felt like it there's times when we give that i'm like ooh, wolf like might hit the red a little bit here like might hit the negative hopefully like we finagle things right and and there's i don't want to give why would i want to give right so we we buy into this kind of lie and i don't know what i don't know what's creeping into it but it's this idea that like like god only cares about the heart i don't actually need to do anything and before we know it, we move from, like, Pharisees into, like, these consumers, who so at the end of the day, we, we, we think that if only our feelings are what dictate the things that God calls us to do. And in Nathan's story, he said, like, you can do all these things with the wrong heart, but you can also do no things at all. And, and Jesus says these are, these, are, these are values of the kingdom of God, giving, fasting, and prayer. Now, why are they values? I think because they're all just completely countercultural to our world. Think about it. People who are generous, they teach you that in high school. Go be generous. Go, like, give away all your stuff. No one teaches you that. Uh, Prayer. Hey, go spend some time that you can't quantify or put on a spreadsheet or get a promotion, uh, like, just, like, practically, right? Like, prayer in the world is a waste of time. Prayer is, like, why would you not do anything? Why would you not work more? Why would you not— you know, build more influence, why would you just be in your room praying? Like, what is the point of that, right? In some ways, prayer, just the act of it, is just literally giving God some of your time. Now, there's a lot more to it, but simplistically, from the world's perspective, prayer is just a waste of time. You're not achieving anything. The third one, fasting. Why would you give up on the things that you like? Why would you temporarily withhold good things from you? That's that sounds like sadistic. Why would you ever do that, right? These three values don't make any sense in the world. They just don't. In fact, I don't even know if the world would call them values. They'd probably call them like um, just negative detrimental things to your, your health or your well-being, right? Like fasting even, right? So Jesus gives us these three, and I think the reason why he gives us these three and we call them spiritual disciplines is because they are a discipline. They are a work that we do that sometimes our heart is not going to be there. And sometimes it will be. And sometimes... We, we need to yearn that God would give us the heart and the spirit and the mind and the will to do these things. And he says, he says, look, in, in verse 16 through 18 with, with fasting, he says, When you fast, do not look solemn like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive so that people will see them fasting. Some people do good things, and they, they're not feeling like they're doing them for the right reasons, so, so they just are like yearning and pining for other people's admiration. Like sometimes I wonder if people only do things for the photo on Instagram, right? <laughs> I mean, you're probably guilty of that. It's like, if we didn't get pictures, it didn't happen. So people need to know about it. There's been times where I've taken, like, fast from social media, and I felt, like, anxious because I feel like I'm missing out on people's, like, you know, highlights. And, and it could be possible that their highlights are, are rooted in, like, this vanity, right? This insecurity, this need to be wanted because at the end of the day, they're feeling this detriment and so these three, thi- these three values are, are deeply, deeply formative, but we have to be willing to, to do this, this, like, I don't want to call it a dance, but we have to be aware of where we're at. And, and the thing is, you know, you might think, oh, this is, like, this passage is just for the Christians, it's just for the Pharisees, it's just for the people who know this one. And I said, no, there's, there's, there's three other categories here that people are living in, Right? Do we, do we say things that we'll do, and at the end of the day, we don't follow through? We don't have integrity with our word? Do we just consume? All we care about is what we get out of it, or do we actually serve people? In fact, fasting, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I was, like, literally, like, I don't know if I ever talked to, very, like, very many Christians, like, who, like, re- I mean, not that you should talk about it, but, <laughs> but who fast? Like, do you fast weekly, monthly, yearly? Do you have a plan, or do you just wait till like, we're like, hey, we're going to fast. And you're like, okay. We actually did the Daniel fast, uh, was it this year? The beginning of this year? And I talked about it all the time. I was the worst. Literally no reward in heaven for Trey, like at all. <laughs> Y'all, I, you all were my reward, right? And it was like, wow, failed at that one. You know, I want people to know that I am just eating dumb produce and nothing good, and it's terrible. I even drank coffee. I kind of cheated. But, but fasting is this idea that we're willing to uh, not allow our feelings to dictate the faithfulness to God. Because, because think about it. Fasting is thinking about the thing that first most comes to your brain about what you're fearful of giving up, and then you give that thing up. <laughs> so if, if it's, uh, it's whatever it's attracting you from God, and so it's, if, if food comes up, right, maybe it's food. If alcohol comes up, it's alcohol. If it's social media, it's social media. And, and all of these things we typically don't ever want to do. And so, at the end of the day, I think the reason why this is so hard, and this is kind of like the, the, the foundation of what Jesus is getting at in our culture, is, is I think at the end of the day, we don't really live a life that's dependent on God. We don't really live a life that's dependent on God. And I'm saying that not like, like I know your heart, because I don't. But when you start to think about it, the resistance to these things is rooted in an insecurity and a misplaced trust in something else. So, you're not going to give away your money like God calls you to do because you don't trust that if you give it away that you'll be okay. You're not going to go pray because your schedule is too busy and it's too overwhelmed and you work too much and you have too many people depending, depending on you that you're not going to first spend time with your father. You're not going to fast because you are falling prey to the things of the world and you could never fathom giving up something um, because you don't feel like it. And probably your brain is probably addicted, so it's going to tell you no. Your stomach's going to tell you no, whatever it may be, right? These things are all rooted in a lack of mistrust. Now, I'm saying this literally, number one, guilty over here. Like, um, I look at these things, and every day I have to ask, and you're funny, it's funny, I'm a pastor, you're probably like, you pray like five hours a day, Trey, you're so spiritual. And I'm like, no, I don't. And I'll, I'll wake up in the morning, and I'll be like, oh, I have so much, like, stuff to do. Um, and I'll just skip prayer. Like, once I open my computer, game over, right? It's just, like, task mode and and it's so easy for even me to, to neglect all three of these things, right? And so in the midst of them, at the end of the day, when it boils down, I can make excuses. I can say, well, it was a busy day. Well, I had a lot to do. Well, our, our check account isn't as good as it normally was. Maybe next month. Or, or oh, well, I, I don't want to fast right now because <laughs> I was going to fast from alcohol. And I was like, well, I have a couple weddings coming up. And, like, I want to celebrate. And, but, it, I mean, this is, this is my heart. You laugh, you do it. This is your heart, right? There's always an excuse. There's always a reason well, we, we can't make the church for the next four weeks because we have soccer and vacation and we have, uh, we have a, a family wedding and then we have a reunion and then, and then we have a work thing and then, but it'll be fine. And then, and then when we have kids, well, then they have, they have soccer league and then they have tennis and then they have swim team and then also we have like six million family reunions because our family's bigger. It never ends, right? It never ends. And Jesus is not trying to create a list so that you'll feel terrible about yourself because if you feel terrible about yourself, you are living in legalism. And so I want to make that very clear. This passage is not Jesus beating you down. This passage is Jesus taking the walk with him, the disciplines and the intentions, the heart and the pride, the fear of man and the fear of God, and he's saying, where are you at? If you're, if you're more concerned with man, the fear of man, you're going to be living a life that is just constantly feeling like guilty because you care more about what people think, and people will always let you down. I go to a counselor um, Every, every two weeks, and, uh, and he made me read this book. It's called um, When People Are Big and God is Small. And it talks all about, like, codependency and peer pressure. And I was like, I don't give into that. I'm an eight on the Enneagram, okay? No one can tell me what to do. I don't do anything for anyone. And then I read, and I was like, oh, shoot. Because we do things for people way more than we realize. Um, and, and his biggest premise, what was so beautiful about it, was it was not, hey, stop letting people like, dictate your life, because you've all heard that before, right? It was, hey, did you know that Jesus is like the most dependent human who's ever lived, and that you model your walk with him based upon that? And I was like, I don't know, I, I kind of know that. And then I started reading all these passages, and all of a sudden, I'm reading Jesus is constantly, like if you asked Jesus how he was doing, he would say, we're doing good. And you'd be like, what do you mean we're doing good? He'd be like, yeah, I mean the Father, we're doing good. He would respond in such a way that he is so dependent on God the Father that he's like one. And you'd be like, this guy's weird. Like, what's up with him? And then you read, he'll go do, he'll, the disciples are trying to go, tell him to go do something and he goes and spends three hours in prayer to confirm that's what he needs to be doing. Or then the night before he's gonna be crucified, he's praying and pleading, God, please take the cup from me because he didn't feel like being crucified. And God's like, no, 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 you need to do this. And he steps into it. Jesus, when you read it, is the most dependent human and he models it beautifully and he's also God. And so if he's dependent on the Father, what more should we do? It's, it's staggering. I read it, and I was like put off by it. I was like, ugh, Jesus is so clingy. Why? Because we live in a world of independence, right? We value you being able to do it on your own. You're self-educated. You're handy. You can make a salary for yourself. You can live in your own house that you own. You can have a really cool car. Like, right, we don't, we don't value things that are based on any sort of dependence. It's, look what I have done. Look what I have. Look what I've accomplished. And you know what Jesus says? He says, look what the Father has done. Look what he has done. Look who he is. It's constantly, and he's the most secure human being we know. And so if you want to get out of this tension, you have to be willing to put your eyes on Jesus to notice that this man is a dependent man, and that dependence is actually a value in the kingdom. Dependence on the Father is a value in the kingdom. So at the end of the day, ask yourself, do I really depend on God? Do I really? Do I, in all the areas of my life, in my heart, in my pride, do I really depend on God? Because that's what this passage is getting at. The kingdom of Jesus, this kingdom of God, it's full of broken people. The people in that quadrant are not better than anyone else. They're just more willing to recognize their dependence for God. That was the essence of the beginning of his sermon was Hey, the people that you think are least likely to be cool and great—those are the exact people that I run towards for my kingdom, because they're not living double-minded. They don't have one foot in their kingdom and one foot in my kingdom. And they try to do both. They try to—they try to like um, do these good things, but also like like raise their status and their influence and their pride, right? Like, there's so many things that we do that are like that. And so, at the end of the day, I don't have like this beautiful application because at the end of the day, I think you can know where you're at and you know the things and you know the heart behind the things that you're doing, and I can't judge that, right? But when we read this passage, Jesus is, is getting at this beautiful, beautiful kingdom where people do, do what he says, but they're not, they're not rooted in themselves. They're rooted, they're rooted in this, this humility, this fear of God. And so as we conclude, I want to invite the band up. And we do this uh, every Sunday. We, uh, we partake in what we call a bread and cup or Lord's Supper communion. Um, Thanks, Nick. And basically, this is our opportunity as a community to admit that we are broken, and it's an opportunity for us to remind ourselves who we place our foundation on and that we're dependent on Christ. So if you, we have some in the back. You want to grab one? Uh, they're going to play a song, and, and, and I encourage you to partake in this. Um, if this is a reality for you and Jesus is, is real to you, this is an opportunity for you to take that. Uh, and we do it as a reminder. We do it together because, like I said, we're all broken And that's the beauty of community. So uh, I encourage you to do that. And they're going to play one more song. Also, we have one or two people in the back for prayer. If you'd like some prayer, uh, we will have people there who would love to pray for you about anything. So uh, take time to reflect if you'd like, and then we'll sing one more song to close. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.